ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up. The Pro Nola segment begins now. Gus Kattengill, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, is um, on the uh, on the airwaves with us here on the phone line. Gus, first off, good morning. How are you? And um, our, you know, last time we talked, I think we thought we had moved on from Gallo the Rooster, but it turned out, as you put it, there was some weird voodoo stuff happening, and it's a lot of bad things that happened since that rooster was removed from the neighborhood. It is a curse. I don't know how else to really look at it. Um, other than, yeah, he cursed me. Um, you know, I mean, I, I know in this part of the country, and I've talked to other people, you know, the whole voodoo chicken thing. I, I, I get that. That's cute. That doesn't really exist, does it? I mean, I didn't kill him. At least I don't think I did. Struck I just son. captured him. Um, but apparently I ticked him off because I, I, I mean, it's just, it's an uncanny amount of things as, um, you know, we're talking now. I'm on my third refrigerator repair person who maybe might be able to get to the root of the problem. I mean, like, literally, I've had people say this never happens to a three-year-old fridge several times, I've been told. <laughs> so I, I don't know what to attribute it to, you know, really bad luck or, oh, and um, remember I told you the power door locks in my car stopped working? Did I tell you that? Um, yeah. Not, yeah. Not my side, but, you know, my son's side. Yeah. Go in and out. And as you can imagine, Scott, when the car seat is on the set, you know, the, the side in which you need the power door locks to work, it, it's kind of a pain in the butt. Uh, got that fixed. Literally, uh, a week later, now the driver's passenger door lock won't work power wise like that single solitary lock the rest of the car works just fine so i don't know man i i I, what do you think i need to do do i need to go get a rooster i mean do i you gotta you gotta you gotta dump some kind of by now or something i mean i i don't know what to do because literally i've had no problems like ever anything in my house or car and everything is breaking and not working everything uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like there's some kind of ceremony where you have to dump some kind of ashes <laughs> on the bayou or something weird, but I, right. I, I, I feel bad for you, man. No joke. This is a string of bad luck all somehow tied back to that damn rooster. It's yeah. You know, it doesn't man. make any sense. Does it? I, it, 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 yeah, it depends on who you ask, dude. Uh, with that, um, let's talk, you know, you mentioned the stress of, you know, kids and, you know, the power lock not working on the side of the car where you're driving your son around in. Let's talk about kids and segue into the same schedule, Gus, because the NFL schedule release, which the NFL, I'll give them credit, they do a great job of marketing, even though everyone already knows who their team is playing, just finding out when they play them and how many primetime games they get and everything else is is a huge ordeal. And when the, <laughs> when, when the schedule leaked on Wednesday morning, and I and and I Saints Bucks Halloween three twenty five. As a father with three young kids, I was I was just I haven't been this upset about a start time for a Saints game maybe in my life. You know, I was just so fed up, dude. I'm like, are you kidding me? The worst possible time of the whole year where you could have a game 
would be like you there is no there is, you can't get around trick or treating when you have kids there's no like out there there's no well let's try it this way no oh god dog man i was one of the biggest games of the season at the absolute worst time worst time yeah i'm going trick or treating i mean I'm not, <laughs> um yeah i know i mean i dude christmas last year christmas i mean we you know they had a game on christmas did they i mean yeah, and that wasn't as bad as Halloween. I, I know, but I mean, still, it's like, it's kind of a big day for a lot of people. You know, I mean, you're kind of, you know, big day for kids. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm with you, believe me, you know me. Actually, Halloween is my, you know, big day of the year. So, um, Christmas isn't important, but yeah, I look, I mean, I'm ready. Like, I've talked to Carver already every single morning, you know, we do a you know, hey, Siri, how many days until Halloween countdown? I mean, I'm ready. You know, like early to mid-September, the stuff goes up. You know, we don't wait till October. We we get a full 31 days of decorations and festivities at the very least, if not more, and sooner. Um, so it's a big deal to me. But, yeah, look, you know, you look at that start time and, you know, uh, that day just happens to fall on the day what it is. And I guess when you cover teams, man, you – believe me, those guys have um, – you know, they practice on Thanksgiving. They practice on Christmas Eve for Christmas Day. Uh, the season doesn't stop, you know, um, for them. But I'm with you, dude. It is going to be interesting. My guess would be, especially here, um, that everything goes on Saturday. Like, you probably have those. It, it is going to be interesting to find out because last year we went around uh, my wife's mom's neighborhood where they have a little kids and where they, where they have around where I'm at. And – it was fantastic. I mean, it really legitimately was. And, and it was, you know, everyone was worried about COVID. Everybody, like, you know, did it outside. Remember, Scott? I'm sure you guys had it, too, where people would, like, be on a table and everybody brought, like, the, oh, yeah. the stuff out in front of their house, which was awesome. I, I, I thought everyone stepped up and gave the kiddos something, you know, the parents dressed up. And, you know, it's just a – I mean, you made a party out of it. It's not Louisiana. You don't need a reason. But you basically said, let's make Halloween a tailgate. <laughs> which I've been on. So we have practice. That is what I'm getting at. We've had practice. Maybe that's what happens Saturday night. You know, maybe Saturday night, um, you know, uh, people in the neighborhood say, you know, we're going to put tables and chairs out front. We're going to pull up some Bluetooth speakers and cold ones in an ice chest and, and have people walk around down the street, you know, and do that. My guess would be something like that um, because, A, it's a Sunday, you know, the next and all that other stuff. And to your point, um, there's going to be 70,000 people that aren't going to go trick-or-treating. They're going to go to the game. That's a big game, dude. Yeah. And after you have an entire season in which you haven't had, you know, people, um, I, I cannot imagine that they would not have a situation where you would see, you know, Something like that. But, yeah, I, I get it. When I saw that, too, it was literally the first thing I, I said. I'm like, oh, no. No, not how. No, no, no. I mean, I, they're, here in Lafayette, I don't, I don't see them moving it to Saturday night or anything. And, you know, with three young ones, one of my kids has a birthday the day before. They get really into Halloween. It's just uh, – it'll be – I guess I'll just walk and try to watch it on my phone as I'm trick-or-treating and, you know, keeping on my kids so none of them – get away from me in the dark. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I was, I was not happy about it. I remember, and I know how much you love Halloween. Gus, I remember a, a Halloween party 
17 years ago at the Republic that Kid Craddock, rest in peace, and his like morning show came in New Orleans. I, been I, I have photos of you. Yeah, way. yeah. You, but I, I was I, I the, the, for the for the for to give folks an idea of like what moment in time it was. I was uh, I was Napoleon Dynamite. The movie had like was still kind of it's it had it come out. You know, I guess that summer was still really popular. You were dressed. You just had weird like green paint on your face. You just you looked awful. No offense. I mean, it was Halloween. Um, and and there were some the other goblin. folks there. I, I was a latex wearing goblin. Is that? I mean, is I, that... Was, <laughs> I, was, I mean, I had like latex. I that took hours. You know, I, I, well, that's a good thing if you think I look awful because that means it's okay. exactly what I was aiming for. Good. I it worked. Am a, yeah, it worked. Um, good times. Uh, it feels like feels like a couple of lives ago, but good times. Lots happened between. Hey, at that point, the Saints had only won like one playoff game ever in their history. So. Uh, a lot's changed for that franchise in the last 17 years as well, but they get ready for a transition period next next season, Gus. And uh, uh, the few things that stood out to me for the schedule, one is when you have five primetime games and you have two games that are um, the America's Game of the Week in the afternoon time slot, and, you, you know, granted, you have flexes built into the schedule. You could have more, you could have less, but – the initial schedule that the NFL put out in a post Drew Brees era, the the National Football League still feels like the Saints are are a national draw. They've had great numbers nationally when they've played here uh, in recent years, and I guess even without Drew Brees, we'll find out. But uh, with that fan base and and with that team, the NFL still thinks they're a draw. Otherwise, you don't get put on TV with five primetime games and two national game of the week slots. You don't do it. No, I mean, I, that, I, you know, that, you're right. That is obviously definitely one of the things that stood out to me. Um, that, you know, you're, you're not going to get five primetime games if, um, if people didn't think you were going to be good. <laughs> you know, um, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised, I guess you would say that, in a, in a good way. Um, because there's obviously a lot of belief that this team is still pretty good uh, in and around the league. And they're a draw. And look, Scott, we guys, we shouldn't be surprised, right? The ratings every time the Saints play, um, they stand out. And they're, they're some of the best among the league. Even in the playoffs when they don't make it, right? Um, they're, they have ratings that are the top three of the league. So, again... Not surprised by that. And look, and you look at the games specifically in which that they're prime time games in, I mean, they all make sense. Um, young quarterbacks, new quarterbacks, good quarterbacks, uh, top teams. I mean, the Bills on Thanksgiving, you know, poor Todd Graffinini already has an indigestion. I had him on the show yesterday, and he's, you know, my Thanksgiving's ruined again, you know, and it's always been ruined every time the Falcons play, and especially on a Thanksgiving night because he hates the Atlanta Falcons. But, you know, in this instance, you know, he's saying, hey, look, you have a, a situation sort of like that where um, you you have all these teams that are good that are, that are going to be playing. You. I mean, the schedule for the Saints is, is, is pretty daunting. It's incredible. I looked at the strength of schedule that was posted yesterday in terms of all the teams when the schedules came out. Um and the Saints are middle of the road. They're in the middle, the middle of the pack. I, I thought what was remarkable is I, I think the Bucks have one of the easiest ones, which is crazy to me. Tampa Bay has one of the easiest schedules. 
in theory, and as you always say, you're going to have sometimes um, teams that we think are going to be good be oh, good, yeah. teams that we think are going to be bad be bad, and always you know somebody steps up and and plays better than you think, and, and others take a step back. So, but in theory, you look at the the schedule, and look, you got some interesting teams. You got some teams that are young that are trying to make a you know kind of a name, and, and you know, like Buffalo, are, are they for real? They're going to be one of those AOC top contending teams. Was last year a fluke? Um, all I know is that I immediately, when I went through the you know schedule on the air, was I got a text almost immediately of people saying, "Great, Manuel Sanders is coming back into the dome. He's going to have three touchdown passes." You know, I don't, I don't know why people always fear the revenge of a former Saint player um, coming in, but. Yeah, man, look, you have storylines all over the place, whether it's Green Bay, even Miami was Tua. That team was 10-6 and six last year, um, so they're pretty good. And when you start thinking of all of the different teams that are going to be coming in and playing them uh, on prime time, dude, it's, it's, it's a, it's, I think if you're a Saints fan, you you, you, you got to be happy about it. I always look, Gus Kagan, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, ProNolist segment, ESPN1420and.com. I'm Scott Prather, great Scott Show, sponsored by SuitUp. I've been under the mindset of always looking at a Saints schedule when it comes out, cold weather games based on the time of the year, right? Do you go to New York in September or do you go to New York in December? Um, I, I, I guess I have to have a slightly different approach now because, yes, the Saints are a dome team, and yes, it's in the South, but we don't know what the mindset of the offense is going to be, the philosophy, the passing game. So many things are changing, right? So in theory, it's like, yeah, you're a dome team. You probably still don't want to play outside in the cold, but we don't know what the identity of this team's going to be yet. So you do have some games that are worth noting, right? You have some cold weather games late in the schedule. You go to, you know, the Jets in December. Um, you, you go to Philadelphia in late November. Tennessee might be cold in the middle of November, but that that I I I don't put as much weight on this year as in past years, just because I have no idea. The whole, you know, just how different things are going to look, right? What kind of style this team's going to play with? Last year, you know, as as bad as the season was when it ended in that in that playoff game, they were they were a team built more for kind of playing outdoors than indoors, even though it didn't, as silly as that sounds. So I'll kind of reserve judgment on that. Obviously, you have a Monday night game at Seattle. Okay, primetime game at Seattle for for starters is never easy, and the Saints they have not fared well in primetime games at Seattle ever. Um, on top of that, it comes after a bye week. Okay, not really cool. You don't want a Monday night game after a bye week. You've already had all this time to rest. You want a bye week after a Monday night game. And after the Monday night game, guess what? Longest road trip of the season, cross country, physical team, Seahawks. Then it's Halloween. That's when you play the Bucks. So if you want to be nitpicky, and every fan base is, and we're in South Louisiana, so I'm talking about the Saints, every fan base has a part of their schedule where they're like, you know what? I wish it was like this instead of this. You really wish that I get the, the the New Orleans appeal. Oh, we have the bye week during Jazz Fest. The Saints appeal, you would love to have the Seahawks the week before and the bye week after and have that extra time to get ready for Tampa Bay. But that's not how it shook out. The next time the Saints play the Bucks, it's um, you know after a road game in New York. So there's some things on the schedule you can gripe about, but every fan base does. I mean, I it, it is what it is. You kind of referenced something you you liked about it, and I guess what the NFL says with primetime games. Is there a part of the schedule, a portion of the schedule, that 
after you looked at it initially and then had some time to think about it, you like, you think is a positive, you think the league, God forbid, as fans would say, oh my God, they would never do the Saints the favor. Do you think there's a part of the schedule where maybe the league helped the Saints out just by chance because you like the layout of it? I don't know if I would say whether they helped them or hurt them. I, I guess as, as odd as it would seem, I'm actually, if I'm a Saints fan, I like that I end the season with the Panthers and Falcons. And I say that because I jokingly on the air when it came out said, well, that Atlanta game will be for a playoff spot. You know, <laughs> if you think that way. Look, I, I've been going back and forth all week from this. So I'll preface all of this just by saying, I, I think, um, I think um, that, they're potentially a playoff team. So, and I say potentially because potentially they can be a playoff team. In terms of, I think they have talent. But, you know, I went through a list that, you know, the Saints Wire was just somebody that I pulled up quickly, and they went through the top 10 players that, you know, were gone that um, are not on the team, whether it's retiring free agency, salary cap casualty, you know, from Malcolm Brown to Josh Hill to obviously Drew Brees, you know, um, Jared Cook. I mean, I know he wasn't loved by a lot of people, and they think that it was his fault and all of that. But, dude, um, I would think that, you know, he looks at it and goes, hey, he had seven touchdowns. Um, You know, Malcolm Brown helped stop the run. You had a bunch of different players that, you know, helped it. I mean, you, you lost a Hall of Fame quarterback. You lost your number two receiver who Buffalo picked up. So that's a lot of people that you have to replace. There is potential. There is hope that that happens. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I, I like seeing Jameis Winston in his video this week and, you know, he's training. And anytime he's with Jay Glazer, you know, Sean Payton's a good old BFF. Hey, that's not a bad thing. But my point is, there's potential that this team can sort of do that. The NFL clearly believes they're going to be a good football team. Um, but the NFC sort of stacked, man. I mean, you, you look at the, the, the West, there's possibly three teams that could be competing for a playoff spot there at least, right? Um, uh, let's say a team or two. If the Bears have competent quarterback play with their defense, they're potentially a team that can do that. I don't think the Packers go backwards. Um, I think Dallas and Washington are probably two teams that are going to be tough to play. And then you look at the South, and you look, if, if Atlanta stays healthy, they get better coaching. They blew five games last year, literally in the last minutes, you know, of lone lead. They're like the Pelicans of the NFL. So when you look at that and you add the Saints, if you think they're a playoff team or a, a good team, there's only seven spots. So I think, I think just for me safely, I, I, I say a, a potential pet playoff team and probably the Carolina-Atlanta game can be teams that um, that you'd be battling for, you know, a wild card spot, you know, maybe that seven spot. Gus Cattengale, Pro Nola segment, ESPN 1420. All right, Gus, final question on uh, the Saints schedule. What matchup as of today, May the 14th, what game on the schedule do you think is, is the one that going to be, I guess, most anticipated, most fans, the ones that they're going to talk about the most, the ones that will be hardest to get tickets to, What's the one that's circled on there? Is it Atlanta in the middle of the season just because it's the Falcons after all? Is it a different one? Where are you going with biggest game on schedule? Oh, man. Um, I think they're – obviously, 
say, look, the one that is going to stand out and everyone is going to say immediately, right, it's going to be um, the the Bucks game here on Halloween, which we've already discussed, just, you know, it's a revenge and all that. But you don't know where the sort of the season is sort of going to be on that. Um, I honestly think that that Thanksgiving Buffalo game um, can be a fun one, you know, to, to kind of look at uh, and look at it. But I guess if I had to say – what I'm looking forward to, I guess, sort of seeing. Uh, look, anytime Atlanta's in, you know how I'm going to sort of feel about that. But, yeah, I guess, look, Dallas is, for some reason, as we saw this week in basketball, we just never match up well with the Cowboys. <laughs> I know he can. there was a stretch where he won some games over them. and Because I honestly think that, that that's going to be a – a team that's going to compete for a playoff spot. And when you look at where it's at on the schedule, Scott, I think it's, it's an interesting part of the schedule, isn't it? I mean, it's towards the back end and it's a Thursday night. It's national TV. I mean, all off season, all they've done is talk about the Cowboys as well. Now the Packers and Rodgers are sort of taking over, but I, I think that, I think that, that week, you know, I think Buffalo-Dallas sort of intrigues me because um, Buffalo is a up-and-coming, high-powered offensive sort of team. Can you compete with them offensively? I mean, let's be honest. They're the Chiefs right now, right? I mean, they, they matched the Chiefs. They they looked at the um, the arms race and battle in the AFC and said, okay, look, we got a score. They went and got Stephon Diggs. They added Emmanuel Sanders this year to that receiving core. So when you look at it, hey – I, Buffalo is one of those teams that can put up points. I mean, they ended the season last year playing like it was college football. Um, and then you got Dallas right after that. So that's I don't see one of those two games is the one that kind of intrigues me. Yes, obviously the division opponents, they all are important. And I know it's Bucks and Brady and, and you know, Jameis at Tampa is probably another one, right? I mean, a Sunday night game is first time over there. So – I would say those three kind of immediately popped to my head. Um, more so than really the opener. Because, look, I, I almost feel like the Saints are Tampa last year when the Saints played Tampa. Green Bay should win that game. I, I think they have the most experienced QB. You know, the team is better. I, I keep saying to people, even though no one wants to hear it for me, the Saints are potentially a good team, they're potentially a playoff team. I just don't know because I haven't seen it. I haven't had a practice together with a lot of pieces. I've made the point, Scott, even probably to you as well, that, you know, there's some similarity. I wouldn't say a ton of them, but it's a similarity to 2017 when you made that draft, you came out of that draft and went into training camp and said, look, those guys, some of them are going to have to – you know, start, play, see time. You're, you're going to need them. Of course, no one expected the offensive and defensive rookie of the year. No one thought Marcus Williams would be a starting safety. I mean, Trey Hendrickson was in that class. So I understand I'm not comparing that this is the same talent, but Peyton Turner's going to play. He's going to have to play, right? Um, Werner likely is going to start. At the very least, he's going to play a lot. You just don't have any linebackers. Um, Adebo is going to have to play. He's going to be competing for a starter. Let's say Werner Adebo become a starter. 
Turner's better than Davenport. You can't keep him off the field. Potentially three guys in a year or two that either could be starters or keep contributing. They, they have to. You look at Young, um, the sixth-round pick. The Saints have made a history. You go back to like guys like Clapmore recently of a guy that at a position group, Scott, you and I talk about all the time, you love to run Armstead, the guy's never healthy. More often than not, Pete Armstead, somebody that line's going to get hurt. Young's going to probably play. So that's another draft pick that at least is going to be dressed at some point this year. And I've had several people tell me, keep an eye on Kawan Baker. The fact that he can stretch the field, that he has speed, breakaway speed, can catch and run speed, that's what this team needs. Again, there's potential, and that Trey Quan Smith takes that next step. There's potential that Marquez Callaway can be an NFL receiver. I think there is, but we, we don't know. I mean, it, it, it's different being the three and fourth receiver than I need you to be the number two receiver. What if Michael Thomas is hurt again? Do any of those guys immediately pop to your head and say, they can be the dominant receiver in this team? They, they've never even played with this quarterback. So there's just a lot of ifs that keep me from saying, oh, this team's 12-4. and four. I, I don't know. They can be. I think they'll be better next year than there are this year, to be honest with you. Because um, I do think they got some talent in young pieces. But is Lattimore playing the opener? I don't know. Is he going to be suspended? You know? Um, that might be a big difference. I mean, Rodgers will have a field day. You know? And so I, everyone keeps telling me, we don't know who that second corner is. I'm like, great. So there's just a lot of ifs. Um, so that's why I'm not saying the one that jumps out to my head immediately is the Packers and stuff. I'm looking more towards the middle to late season, and it's a comparison that I think I'm going to stick with throughout this upcoming year. Think of Tampa last year, and I think that's the best-case scenario for the Saints, a team that had to, you know, they, they, they found a way or two every now and then to win. Um, it's not going to be pretty at the very beginning. They'll be competitive, I think, but I think they're going to get better as the season goes along. Like, I think the first five games, you're going to find out what needs to be tinkered with and fixed and played with and experienced, and then you have that bye week, week six, and then maybe they play better. So that's why, again, that Buffalo, that Dallas game, that at Tampa, that stretch, I'm going to be interested to see what kind of Saints football team shows up. I, I'm not going to freak out if they're two and three in the first five. I just, I, I, again, I went through a list of ifs. That, that's what actually I'm expecting. I'm expecting cohesiveness issues. I'm expecting, you know, defensive lapses. I'm expecting all that. And quite honestly, then you just go to the normal every single year, Dennis Allen, my defense doesn't play worth the squad until week three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I could see that. I mean, that's, that's just reality. That, with veterans last year, this defense was pitiful. I mean, it, it was literally a talking point for weeks until they figured it out. So I, I just I, I'm looking at the middle to late part of the year to excite me about the upcoming year, if that makes sense to you. No doubt. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com, Gus Catgill. Pro Nola segment. It's the great Scott show. Sponsored by Suit Up. Suit up when we come back and it talks some Pelicans for a little bit. Officially eliminated from the playoffs earlier this week. JJ Reddick is still butthurt about his exit. We'll get into all of that and uh boy the the daunting offseason coming up because uh, it's here. And, and what do you do in the last couple games this weekend, right? I mean, why even play Bledsoe? No disrespect. Why even play him? We'll get in all that. It's all coming your way right here on the great Scott Show, ESPN1420 and .com.
Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank Pronola segment. Gus Cattengill's in the house. He joins us now. Gcat underscore one seven. That's the Twitter handle. Check him out. ESPN one hundred point three in New Orleans. The sports hangover noon to three weekdays. Gus, the Pelicans, um, as we expected, uh, were officially eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, it took a while because you know you got the play-in game, so ten teams, but. Uh, before the season, I predicted them to finish ninth. And I'll be honest with you, Gus. If you had told me they're going to have the best, um, I won't call it injury luck. I mean, you know, I get that Zion and B.I. are out right now. But the least amount of games lost to injury that they've had, you know, they'd be one of the league leaders in that. I would have probably said, man, they, they might finish even higher. Well, they couldn't even finish in the top ten. All right? It was a failure. This season was a failure. Bottom line. Period. You can't slow down your trajectory. You can't slow down your goal for next season where you said, you know what? Realistic goals, right? Realistic goals. You get into the playoffs this year. Maybe it's the play-in. Maybe it's the playoffs. Next year, you get a little bit higher. You're in the playoffs. Year after that, you're advancing. You can't now sit back and say, well, next year the goal is just to get in. No. it. You, you've got big steps to take. You've got a roster that is not working. You've got some good pieces. You have one untouchable player. You have two all-star caliber players. You got big decisions to make. I mean, holy cow, Gus. We could, if you want, we could talk about what they need to do in these last two games of, you know, playing some guys this weekend that should get some PT. But but at this point, I think everybody's just saying Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, free agents, Eric Blood, everybody's focused on the offseason now. And it's a shame that we are because this team shouldn't be eliminated from a playoff that has two-thirds of the league getting into at least a play-in game at the very least. They shouldn't be that way, not with Zion Williamson on your roster. So I'm going to do this next week on our show where we do exit interviews and just like they would, I do the same thing with the Saints when their season ends. But, Scott, I'll I'll summarize where I'm going to go with this more than anything next week and and just this right now in in that – it, it was a failure to an extent, Scott, but David Griffin failed. David Griffin failed. Like, I, I, I thought long and hard about this, watching five minutes of a game against Dallas in which they were getting blown out, where you had a player half a world away, where literally their summer's our winter and our winter's their summer, or whatever the heck it is, that guarded Luka Doncic, Better than anybody the Pelicans have guarded in in, in seasons, in two seasons. D.D. Lozano. And, yes. And D.D., literally, you sent him a world away after he played well last year towards the end. And you still thought you needed another year of development. Why I say they failed themselves, Scott, is because David Griffin failed in talent evaluating. Period. It's easy, and I think it, it's, it's, it's maybe even right to say this roster doesn't work. You're right, Scott. The roster doesn't work because they use the wrong one. The roster doesn't work because they use the wrong one. I, for the longest time, thought, you know what? They just don't have the talent, and I don't know if I can say that anymore. And the reason why I say that is because I think of the team, dude, of teams. You know? I think of the Bulls. I, I think of um, – they, they won six championships, Scott. Hear me out. They won six championships. It was Michael Jordan 
and Scottie Pippen. Those are your two horses, right? I mean, you had a great player and another Hall of Famer, too, to go with them. I mean, but I, I get I'm referring to the greatest of all. I understand that. My point, though, is look at how those teams were built, right? You had two really good players. And then you had a bunch of players that did something specifically or knew their role one way, shape, or form. Even in the second three-peat with the worm, Rodman's job was to agitate one of their best players and rebound and play defense. That's it. He scored, he scored, but he was a smart basketball player who knew his role and job. B.J. Armstrong, Steve Kerr, don't turn the ball over, knock down a three. Um, you, you look at, I mean, come on, man. They won championships with Longley and, you know, Bill Weddington and stuff. But what they do? They got a board, they got it away, they set a screen, they guarded their top, you know, their center. They had players, and I know you can go with Kukoc. Kukoc, you know, he was good. When they oh, no. play, he was yeah, good. But, yeah, but my yeah. point is, you know, even to his point, uh, when he played, they had to find that role for him because, you know, he was the dynamic scorer. The guy that played in the past, and they were like, look, just do your thing. Let us do ours. My point I'm making is this. If they would have gone at the beginning of the season, I mean, they had five guys, Scott. And I, my, my blood starts to boil when I look at this because I go back to David Griffin the day after the trade deadline ends, and he says, we drafted Kyra Lewis thinking not we were going to play him. That drove me nuts. Then he went on to say later on that these players, like Najee Marshall, who got a new deal, he actually said this last Friday when he announced the Zion injury and blamed himself for it. Um, he said that these guys, including I, they wouldn't be playing without injury. So let's do this, Scott. Kyra Lewis, Najee Marshall, um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker to an extent, right? Um, Didi Lozada, uh, Wayne and Gabriel, who literally has been rotting on the bench. 6'9", guy can shoot threes, long can play. Anyway, let's say five guys. Uh, you throw in um, Billy Hernan Gomez who only played because Jackson Hayes was so terrible he was killing you. And Early they in had the to play him. Right, right. And then Stan Van Gundy said, well, I want to play him, but that means Jackson doesn't play. Like, think of this thinking and philosophy. You had four to five players, Scott, that could have done the following. And now I'm going to go to the things that were deficient with the Pelicans this year. Effort, energy, defense, focus, drive. I just named five things that those players, the five players I told you you had on the roster, could have given you. Imagine those players seeing minutes and playing alongside Zion and Brandon Ingram. It would have been a completely different season. And even if you, quote-unquote, go with an 18-20 win, we stink season, what's the worst-case scenario that happens? You draft high, and more importantly, though, Scott, you have an entire season where Kyra Lewis, Nikhil Alexander-Walker play along each other, Najee Marshall is there, you got Hernan Gomez that can, you know, learn of that, Didi Lozada has an entire year, but does he put on 10 pounds this year? Could he not put on 10 pounds here? What are you telling me? He can only do that in Australia? Well, he needs to get on his shot. Who better to work on his shot than Fred Vincent, who's in New Orleans, not Australia? Like, it, it boggles my mind because, Scott, as I say all of this, you realize 
and talking to Todd and, and JD, and even Sports Center did it yesterday, Van Pelt. Fourteen games, the Pelicans blew double-digit leads. Six oh, in the yeah. fourth quarter in the final two minutes or so. Todd yesterday said, if they half, if half of those games, they win. And he had thirteen. Sports Center at fourteen. So let's say seven of those fourteen games, they're the sixth seed. They're the sixth seed, Scott. Sixth seed. Sixth seed and playing. Bums like J.J. Redick, bums like Drew Bledsoe, and a guy that does not Eric. fit, and I will go to my grave with that, in, in Lonzo Ball. He just doesn't. So if you would have evaluated your roster and talent better, then you might have been able to do it. And then I'm going to add this other caveat. How about you walk across the street, David Griffin, and have lunch with Sean Payton and ask him about Charlie Brown, the tackle that played so poorly that after the Rams game, literally had the sound bite of sound bite, sound bite in which he said, I've seen enough. Finally, weeks of the media and fans going, this guy stinks. Take him out. He can't block anybody. Finally, the coach said, I got to take him out. Why is Drew Bledsoe even remotely taking a minute, Eric. much less a starter minute, yeah. is beyond me. Why are you playing these guys that you already know what you have? I know who Lonzo is. I know what Bledsoe does. Why is Naw in these – now, I know he was hurt, but why is Kyra not playing? Why did Kyra play five minutes in that Dallas game until it was a 30-point lead? I'm at a loss, man. Like, it, it's, it's mind-boggling to me, and you can see the frustration from Stan Van Gundy, and I can tell you this. David Griffin failed his team. He did not give the guys that Stan Van Gundy needed, and Griffin admitted that a couple weeks ago that he didn't maybe fill that roster, but he still doesn't see it. He actually did. It's on the roster. You just didn't play them. You just, you just, you had it in your head and you needed to go in a different direction. You did the wrong decision. You took Bloodstone instead of Hill. Go look up what George Hill's been doing since he's been traded. Actually something. It's just, he failed, man. And it, it, and I guess it's a, it's a, it's a disappoint. It's a disappointing thing at the same time. It's something that Pell's fans should be okay with on this aspect of it. You could have been the sixth seed if you win half of those games. You win half of those games if you actually play competent basketball players and actually use maybe the guys on your roster. So it's not an overhaul. I don't think you need to go, you know, 30 million, 40 million type free agent kind of guys. I legitimately think, despite what David Griffin thinks, because this is not his philosophy, play young guys and, and tank which I don't even understand that philosophy, because if your younger guys are actually better than the veteran players, then you're, you're hurting yourself, hence why you're not in the playoffs. So play the young guys, let them learn, let them figure it out, man, and then you can actually see where you're going, aside from the fact that, you know, Naw, Hayes, um, throw in, you know, Didi, Najee, I, and I think it was somebody else that tweeted this, um, Shemit and another player, you have four or five players under $14 million yeah. that are like key contributors. Yeah. Why in the world would you pay 25 to, you know, ball? It's just, again, it, it, it's a philosophical failure that happened this year. And I hope you learn from it, David. The fact that you signed Najee makes me feel that you at least see that. But again, these were guys, Scott, that were on their roster or in their organization. It's baffling to me because they were there. 
And the one thing that at that lunch that David Griffin needs to hear from Sean Payton is the one philosophical reason why there's hope for Saints fans post Drew Brees and why this team has had sustained success. Sean Payton has one big principle. Once the roster is, well, once you're on campus, it doesn't matter how you get there. Huh, Scott? Doesn't he say that all the time? Doesn't matter where doesn't you're matter. drafted. Doesn't, doesn't matter, matter what your salary is. Doesn't matter. And, and, and here's something else that, that didn't happen all at once that Sean's done in his profession. Granted, one's a coach and one's a, an executive in a different sport. Adapt and evolve, right? Griffin was so dug in to, to what he thought was going to work and, and what he had in his mind of this is the way that instead of, you know, making some alterations to it or evolving or adjusting to, okay, you know what, maybe – that wasn't the route to go. This could work better. It feels like he kind of dug his shoes in a little more and then got snippy with the media when they'd question him about it. And and I know for you, that was the moment where it was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You you, you can, st- as long as the team wins, as long as the team wins, however, and this year they did not, not enough, right? This year was a failure. As long as this team eventually wins with Zion Williamson and does good things in the league, you win. Like, you win. It doesn't have to be the way you thought it was going to be to get to that. Make adjustments, adapt, evolve. And that's something that it feels like Griffin just had his, he just, you know, as we wrap up this conversation, Gus, he just kind of dug in this season and did, you know, and called the shots and and, and asked Stan to play certain guys and and just do something that he was hell-bent on making work when it was obvious, look, man, this, this isn't the best way to make it work, not in the short term or in the long term. I think you just said it best right there, hell-bent making it work. I, I, look, you're going to have to convince me that there's some sort of pride or some sort of, you know, well, I made that trade. I mean, look, whoever was going to be hired and got hired to do the Anthony Davis trade, I mean, that was the number one job, right? When David Griffin got hired. That was his number one priority. Execute the Anthony Davis trade. Get what you think is what's best for that. And the key components of that trade, and you can tell me all you want about the picks, and then I'm going to have even more high blood pressure because those picks aren't going to mean anything until my son is 12 years old, and you know, and then you got to hope that they stink. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't get it. But anyway, um, it's Ingram, Ball, and Hart. I mean, they're the key components of those trades. Um, you got a decision to make with Hart because Najee Marshall essentially is what Hart can do. Is there room for both? I've had some people say yes. I've had some people say no. Um, but what is Hart going to command? You know, what, what is he going to kind of want? And does it make sense? Najee's $3 million. Heart might be 13 to 15, maybe more. That's something you want to do again because if you would have played your younger guys this year, you would have then been able to see, okay, well, do I need a veteran player, that big free agent splash, or Zach Levine, or whatever it is that's going to be 30 to 40 million? And then you have that money. So that's an element to this, man, to where you look at. Is it a pride thing? Is it, hey, I got to make sure it works because it's the same thing with Ball. I mean, my goodness gracious, this organization defends him 
like you would think, I mean, like LeBron almost, I mean, they baby him, you know? I mean, he's, I mean, he gets so snippy with the local media and the coach does as well. Griffin, I mean, Griffin Lonzo does, Ball is yeah. a good yeah. game and they're right on Twitter. I told you, great. I want to see you tell me as well when he goes four for 14 against his little brothers. Where's that tweet? I mean, I just, it's just, it's just annoying to me where it just, it seems like, you know, this season, while they didn't go the way they wanted, it was almost like it's everyone else's fault, you know, or like we're not seeing what they see. And I, I, I'm at a loss about that, man. And that's the thing that kind of has me concerned. But at the same time, I hope that it's, it's so darn apparent and obvious that you can fix it. Because, again, the good thing about it is I don't think you have to go to a mass shopping spree. And I think you're just going to the convenience store and, you know, picking out one or two things. I don't think you have to go full on roster overhauling. I just, I really honestly don't because the thing about it is you nullify essentially what Stan Van Gundy does. He took away what he does the best and that's defense, but it requires a certain type of player. It requires a certain type of character from those guys. It requires, get this, Scott, somebody paying attention in the stupid huddle for the final seven seconds. And you want to lose a locker room? You lose a locker room and you continually play that guy. And I will give credit to this team. They have played hard since then. And they've played hard with tremendous odds of even remotely making the post, uh, you know, the postseason. And they did play hard, which tells me that it's not Stan Van Gundy. Um, this is, to me, as clear as it can be. He's being told who to play. And he has to play those guys. I can't imagine that a coach will continually play a player that doesn't listen or doesn't do what they're told, right? So, um, and today's players, you got to massage egos and all those different things. I think Lonzo has confidence issues, so you got to stay there and pump him up and make sure he's all that. But um, I just, like I said, I, I, I think when you look at it at the end of the day, and you look at it at AB trades, a reason why I didn't ever care for that Laker trade. And it's not because I'm looking at it, you know, in hindsight. I'm looking at it from two perspectives. One, number one, if LeBron James, who's everything in his life, is about trying to win a championship, like everything is about that, if he doesn't want them, why would you? What makes you think that you see something that he doesn't? He couldn't wait to get rid of him. Like, literally. He played with them a few games, you know, when he came in, and then trade him. Literally, think about that. Well, you know, I'll I'll, I'll throw this that. I'll throw I'll throw this wrinkle in there, Gus. It, it specifically about David Griffin. You know, he he was in Cleveland at a time where they gave LeBron a lot of what he wanted. It didn't work at all until it did. Until it did. But in terms of payroll, in terms of things that didn't fit, once LeBron left, like they have a history there where. LeBron, in his mind, may not be the best talent evaluator because there were some guys that he was adamant they had to get. They went out and got it for him, and it didn't work out. Eventually, in Cleveland, they got it done. Kyrie, he, Kevin Love, all of that. But like, if, if you're talking specifically about David Griffin and you throw in that drama of LeBron and, and the history there and thinking, hey, man, I think I know better than this guy. You know what? I was in Cleveland. He got the credit. I didn't, and I actually did this decision and that decision. So I think there could be more beyond the surface there, but I'm not going to disagree with you. David Griffin failed this year, and and they've got some major decisions this offseason, and we'll see what these young cats can do. Hopefully they're just playing the young guys 
entirely these these last few games this weekend and not you know putting Bledsoe out there who's played in all but one game this year. I mean, good lord, just tell the guy, hey, you're a veteran, I'm giving you a rest. We've been eliminated. If you're so afraid of hurting his feelings and being like, you actually shouldn't be playing much because you haven't been good this year. Change um, the but, building access but, code on that. <laughs> but I. I digress. We got to let you run, Gus Cattengale. Great stuff. <laughs> Pro Nola segment. Um, we got we got Char- Charlie Brown references in there. No, not from Peanuts, but the old offensive lineman. Um, Charlie Brown. Yeah. Oh, oh, shoot! Wait, Gus. Gosh, I'm I, I, sorry. I have to ask you before we before we leave. Last thing. Yeah. JJ Redick. Okay. Liking the tweet of the Pelicans being officially eliminated from the playoffs. Got some folks talking like, yeah, there's some irony there. You were like part of the reason why. Um, uh, the guy has got some Sean Payton level of pettiness. I'll give him that. Um, really doesn't like David Griffin. I just, before we leave, I got to get your thoughts just because I we teased it and, and folks were talking about it, and then I'll let you run. He's an absolute clown. I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, literally one of the reasons they got eliminated, JJ, is because you couldn't make a bucket to save your life. <laughs> Period. Like, you played so poorly that you couldn't even be traded, to be honest with you. Like, your trade value was so bad. I mean, if all of this is because he's bent out of shape because you didn't hand-deliver him to a team that he wanted, oh, my goodness gracious. Again, um, they kept you thinking, and this goes back to what I was saying. It's the over-evaluation of your roster. You, you evaluated incorrectly. You thought that this guy still had it. He looked absolutely – for the time, didn't just get him and catch up to him. I mean, my goodness, there's like Kung Fu Panda on him, man. I mean, it, he looks terrible. Here's the thing. Before you go liking tweets like that, how about you score more than two points this week? In, in the game before they played the Pelicans in Dallas, he had two points for the Mavericks. Scotty's known as a three-point shooter. He had two points. Two points. So – you want to like that a team's not in the postseason? How about you do something? Like, like and again, man, how, how much was he force-fed during the early part of the season where he'll shoot his way out of it? He'll, I'm like, are you watching the same game I'm watching? The guy can't run. He's not getting open on screens. He's bricking shots. His legs look – I mean, again, and I am not a scout or evaluator. I'm just what my eyes tell me. And, you know, and then you have that kind of personality – Dude, go go work on your podcast because he he's not a bas- he's, he's not a basketball player anymore. He's just not. So, I mean, when a guy like that likes a tweet like that, that says all you need to know about that individual. All right, we got to let you run. A good way to, to to sign off with our friend Gus Cat. You know, Pro Nola's segment. It's the greatest guy show, sponsored by Suit Up. All the best, my friend. Enjoy the weekend. Um, I hope your fridge gets fixed, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be listening. ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans, noon to three weekdays, the Sports Hangover. Check it out. If you're in New Orleans, check it out online. Follow Gus on Twitter at GCAT underscore 17. That's G-K-A-T-T underscore 17. From the same schedule to Halloween memories, the Napoleon Dynamite, to David Griffin, to J.J. Reddick's pettiness, to Charlie Brown references, it's been a fun conversation this hour. Always appreciate you taking the time, buddy. Always fun, man. Take care, Scott.